There was an advertisement when I was growing up. And it was in the back of just about every comic book I owned. It was a full page ad for 100 toy soldiers, only a dollar fifty. And they came in this foot locker. And I wanted those really bad. And I remember begging my father for a dollar fifty. You would have thought I was asking for the world. And finally he gave in. And we mailed off the form. We mailed off the dollar fifty. And then came the part that I didn't like. We had to wait. And at the bottom of the advertising were those words, allow three to four weeks for delivery. For probably the first couple of weeks, every night I slept with that comic book in my hand, just waiting, and I couldn't wait to, to get those toy soldiers. And then I, I kind of forgot about them. And then the third week came, and I, I'd think about them every now and then, but, but not much. And the fourth week came, and, and I really had almost completely forgotten. It's been roughly... 2018 weeks, I think, is what I figured up. They still haven't got here yet. And I finally got tired of waiting. Two weeks ago, I placed an order with Amazon.com, which we do pretty regularly. We have membership to Amazon Prime, which means that we get free two-day shipping. For free. And so I placed my order... And the day of the arrival was supposed to be Friday before last. And of course, I got online and I tracked the shipping and I watched my package travel across the country. And Friday, when it should have gone south, it went north. And I wondered what it was doing there. And my two-day shipping, my free two-day shipping, ended up being free six-day shipping when all was said and done. It finally arrived with no explanation, with no, we're sorry we lost your package, no refund, no attempt to make things right, and I found myself angry and frustrated that I had to wait six days for something that should have taken two days. Why did I have to wait that long? And so I've come to the conclusion, it's not really about the length of the wait, it's about the wait itself. Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. You know, it, waiting is the most difficult thing that we do. And so much of our world today is about guaranteed instant results. Instant weight loss. <laughs> instant cure for bad habits. Instant cure for a better marriage. Instant clearer skin. Instant whiter teeth. But all of those problems didn't come on us instantly. They developed over a period of time and seldom are they cured instantly. But we are, we are the microwave generation. We want what we want and we want it now. And that presents a problem when it comes to prayer. Because you can't microwave prayer. We've, I think we've at least acknowledged that. Some of our favorite Scriptures are about waiting. One of my favorite Scriptures is Psalm 40. And the beginning of Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me up 
out of the pit, out of the muck and mire, and He set my feet upon the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. But that Scripture begins with those words, I waited. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. We love Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord, He will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We love that. Yeah, we want those wings like eagles. We want to run and not grow weary. We want to walk and not faint. We want to crawl and be able to make it across the room someday. But it starts with, they wait. What do we do while we wait? What do we do to ensure that we won't give up during our waiting? We won't give in. That our faith won't give out on us. That we won't get tired of waiting. We're going to look at Psalm 27 today. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews in front of you, it's page 460. This psalm isn't just about prayer. This psalm is a prayer. It's from David during a a difficult time. He starts out in those first three verses and he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Last week we looked at God of armies what that means to have the God of armies coming against your problem. This is, he addresses God here as God of light. First thing in creation, let there be light. This is the God who illuminates, the God who makes known, the God who gives us the the light to see. The, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David is attacked. David is at war. People are beating him down. It says an army has arisen against me. They eat my flesh. And yet, verse 3, verse 3 is the heart of this prayer. Yet, I will be confident. Not just that I am confident, but that through this battle, through this difficult time, I will be confident. And when it's all over with, when the battle is done, when God reigns supreme, when my prayer is finally answered, I will be confident. And my question is, what does it take for us to have that kind of confidence today? What does it take for us to have that kind of confidence in prayer? See, you don't have that kind of confidence by accident. It takes work. It takes planning. And the rest of this prayer, the rest of this psalm, it isn't just a prayer. It's David's plan for victory. What does he do while he waits? What do we do while we wait? Wait, There's, there are three pleas in this prayer. Three things that we can plea to God for, just as David did. The first plea is hide me. Hide me. And it is a commitment to seeking God. David knows what he ultimately wants through this prayer. He wants God. He says in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And when you hear those words, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, he's not talking about heaven. 
He's not talking about the hereafter. He's not talking about after this life is over and all the troubles. He's talking about now, that I would dwell in the presence of God today. He wants God's presence. And it's a reminder that prayer isn't just prayer for prayer's sake. It's not just about getting stuff that we think we need or stuff that we want. Prayer is about relationship. It's about building a relationship with the living God. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, He began with those words, Our Father. He didn't start with requests. He started with relationships. And it's important to notice when He says, Our Father, and He teaches us to pray that. He teaches us to pray that First of all, he says, go into your closet, go into that secret place, and your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you, he will hear you. And he says, when you go into that secret place, pray our father. Don't pray my father, don't pray your father, pray our father. It's our relationship with God, our our knowing him personally, knowing him intimately, As Father, it's our Father. Our relationship with God is best understood in community among other people who are also seeking God. And so David prays, hide me. In verse 5, he continues on. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. Hide me can mean a lot of things. It's imagery that gets used a lot in the Old Testament. But one thing I want to make sure you understand is hide me means hide us together. Hide me together with the rest of you. Hide us together. David isn't just talking about him and God. He's talking about him and God and God's people. Verse 4, he talks about worshiping at the temple and it's community worship. And then again, he goes on in verse 6 and he says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The tent. Again, he's talking about community worship. Sacrifices were made in community. Singing was done in community. In those very difficult times, in those times when life is hard, when we're dealing with those those big needs that we have, those times when we find ourselves waiting on God, it's very easy to get discouraged And when that happens, one of the first things that we cast aside is church. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to go there. We say that. The reality is, I just don't want to be around people for a while. I want to sit in my misery. I want to enjoy my misery by myself. And so we don't want to be around other people when every promise of God's presence in Scripture comes with the presence of other people who are seeking after Him. It comes in community. You look at, Dave, look at the promise that David is looking ahead to. He says there in verse 6, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Joy is something we do in a group. Singing, something we do in a group. Making melody is, is something we do in a group. That same confidence that we saw in verse 3 is now confidence that is expressed in relationship with other people who are also seeking after God. It's confidence that's expressed in concert with others. So we wait upon the Lord. And as we wait, our prayer is, hide me. 
Bring me into your presence. Keep me there. Keep us all there in your presence. Keep me safe. And then David's next prayer and our next plea goes on with, hear me. And it is a commitment to holiness. Look at verse 7. Going on from verses 7 to 10. He says, hear, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. It's not just that David is repeating his prayer. David's reminding us of what we saw last week in Hannah's prayer. That it's not about the right words, it's about the right heart. Verse 8, he says, My heart my heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. If we're going to have confidence in the Lord's presence, if we're going to have confidence in His power to deliver us, we have to live like it. We have to live that out of our hearts, which means living a life of holiness. That means having a heart that's in line with the heart of God, a heart that seeks holiness, a heart that seeks purity. Now, now hear me, I'm not saying that if you're not good, God isn't going to answer your prayers. You know, that's Santa Claus. That's not God. That's not, that's not how God works. But what is your heart set on? Is it set on pleasing God or is it set on pleasing yourself? In your innermost part, do you truly desire to know Him? Or do you desire what you desire? Are you spiritually at a place where God can hear you? Can He hear your prayers? There's a Scripture in another Psalm, Psalm 66, verse 18, that, that, that shows that this is a real concern. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. Another way of saying that is, if I had loved sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Lord could not have heard me. If my life is about what I want, if my life is about taking care of of selfish me, God cannot hear past that. And I've seen people who in their times of waiting, in those times of very long prayers and waiting for answers, they finally give up and they start taking care of themselves and doing the things that, that they want to do. They start following after their own hearts instead of God's heart. And there's no promise in that. There's no promise of God's presence. There's no promise of God's attention. There's no promise that He can hear you. I feel like I can't address sin without also addressing grace. And there is grace here. David makes this very personal in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. My father and my mother, they have forsaken me. I hear that word forsaken, and I can't help but think of the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, Jesus is on the cross, and He cries out in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you realize in Scripture, that's the only time in, in Jesus, any quote that we have from Jesus, that's the only time when He refers to God as God and not as my Father. He doesn't refer to Him with a word of, of relationship that, 
that, that he is his father. He just simply refers to him as my God, my God. He doesn't call him father. And the thought is, the understanding is that in taking our sin upon himself, Jesus had severed his relationship with the father. And in that moment, what Jesus was feeling in that moment was that the father had turned his back on him. But what I don't want you to miss is this. He didn't just turn his back on Jesus. He turned his back on your sin. At that moment, when Jesus was carrying your sin, the Father turned his back on the Son and turned his back on your sin. And as his Son bore your sin on the cross, God the Father turned his back and and that sin died with Jesus. That's why God can't see your sin anymore. That's why God can't see your guilt anymore because it died with His Son. It is gone. It is paid for. It is dead. Jesus said it is finished. It's over. Now there are people in your life who are going to keep dragging that stuff up and digging it up. There are people in your life who are going to keep reminding you of all the horrible things you've done and all the wrong things that you've done and, and, and our enemy, the devil, loves to do that too. The devil loves to make you feel like God has rejected you. But David's confidence can also be yours. And, and yours is one better because your confidence is in the cross that you are forgiven, that God has not forsaken you. And that's what makes David's third plea so vital for us. And that plea is, teach me. And it is a commitment to God's Word. I want you to notice the focus of the next two verses. Verses 11 and 12. David says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. It's not just teach me for the sake of knowledge. Not just teach me for the sake of teaching me. Teach me because of my enemies. Teach me because of my adversaries. Because of the will of my adversaries. Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. I always read that and I think, well, I hope we're not. I hope we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. I think sometimes we are. I think too often we are. And so David prays there in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Lead me on a level path. We've seen that before. In Psalm 119, verse 105, David wrote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in that passage, it's about illumination. God's word does that for us. God's word illuminates and lights our way. But here it's about fixing the path. He says, lead me on a level path. Some of your Bibles say, lead me on a straight path. You know, here in the Midwest, straight paths are easy. You know, straight paths are really easy here in the Midwest. You get a horse and you start driving it over a path for a while and, and you beat it down. Then you, then you get wagons and you start driving those wagons across it. Then you get cars and after a long time of doing that, after a few years, you end up with Route 40. That's how straight paths work. 
Lincoln Christian University has more sidewalks now than it did when I went to school there. I noticed that when I was up there last week. They have more sidewalks. Because you know what they do there in the middle of that flat area? They do the same thing they do at Eastern. And that is, they build sidewalks and then the students don't use them. And so they watch where the students don't use them. And the students beat down a path from this place to that place. And then after a few years of letting the students beat down a path, they put a sidewalk in there. That's how paths work in central Illinois. There are other parts of the world where they don't work that way. There are other parts of the world where paths have to be blasted and rock has to be crushed and removed. And, and after a while, after you've removed all those obstacles, you have a path after the debris has been cleared. That's what, that's what David is talking about here. It's not just a matter of illumination, but of the Word of God removing the obstacles, removing the things that trip us up, removing the things that slow us down. And that's something you really need to consider as you dig into the Word of God. As you wait in prayer, and as you read the Word, the end of your prayer may look very different than it did in the beginning. The ending of your prayer may look very different than the beginning. Do you know what I mean? As you read the Word, you understand His will more and more. You understand God more and more. And your prayer, your prayer will evolve. Your prayer will be honed. Your prayer will be sharpened as you come to understand God's will better. And in the end, it may be a very different prayer than in the beginning. It may be a very different image of God in the end than it was in the beginning. Last year, a friend of mine called me up and he had been having some problems and gone to the doctor and there was a possibility he had cancer. He's my age and far too young to even think about something. And he, he called me up and said, what do I do? And you know, he said, I, I, he said I've, I've been trying to read my Bible. I've been trying to read the Bible and, and understand. So he says, I, I've been reading the book of Job. And I said, oh, don't read Job. That's going to be so depressing, you know, to read Job. I said, you don't need to read Job. Job's just going to make you feel miserable. He said, you need to read Isaiah. You need to read Isaiah. Isaiah has this picture all through the, that book, all through, all through Isaiah's book, this picture of a God who is bigger than anything that can come against you. A God who created the universe. A God who measures the ocean in His hands. I said, that's what you need to be reading. That's who you need to be praying to. It changed his view of God and it changed his prayer. And you need to be okay with that. That your prayer may be different. That might be difficult. But we don't read the Word of God so that we can figure out how to get God to give us what we want. We read it so that we can know Him. So We read it so we can know His will and know His ways. You remember back in verse 8, verse 8 he says, My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. He will clear those obstacles out he will direct your paths let him do that let him show you his way and so david's able to come to the conclusion of his prayer and by the way he comes to the conclusion god still hasn't answered <laughs> he's still waiting he gets to the end and he's still waiting god hasn't answered god hasn't acted he's he hasn't changed the situation he hasn't vanquished 
his enemies. But David comes to the end of his prayer, and he doesn't have his answer yet, but he still has his belief. And we read there in verses 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. From verse 3 that said, yet I will be confident, to verse 13, I believe. More than anything else in your prayer, in your waiting, I want you to have that. There's so many situations that we go through as a church and as individuals but we go through them together. Like David seeking God in the temple, we seek God together. We seek God for each other. We pray for each other. We pray for each other through some tough stuff, through sickness and through addictions and through depression and through so many things. And you know, in, in a lot of those situations, I have what may be a bit of a selfish prayer for you. My selfish prayer in those situations is, I want to see what you look like on the other side. I want to see what you look like on the other side of this need, on the other side of this prayer. When the waiting is over, I want to know that person. I want to know their faith. I was talking with Neil this week, and I said, Neil, I, I can't wait to see what your faith looks like once this is all over. I want to know that guy. I want to know what he can teach me and what he can help me through. I want to hear what faith is like to have led you through this situation. And that's here too. In verse 14, David says, wait for the Lord. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to in verse 14? He's talking to his people. He's talking to his crowd. He's, he's talking to his church. He's talking to the people around him. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. In other words, learn from me. Learn what I have learned of God and you do the same thing. You be strong. You let your heart take courage. And then with an exclamation point at the end, wait for the Lord. He's proclaiming, watch what God is doing in my life. Watch me as I wait. And while you wait, you take courage. And while you wait, you believe. And while you wait, you trust in Him. And you trust in Him alone. I'm going to come to the table in a minute. And we come here because where else would we go? Where else would we go to seek God's presence? Where else would we seek God together but, but here at the table? We come here to remind ourselves again a week after week that all the waiting that we do, all the waiting for answers, all the waiting for diagnosis, all the waiting for God to act, that He's already acted through the cross. That the biggest problems that we have to deal with, they're finished. And God turned His back on those sins so that we can approach Him. I hope that makes the waiting better. Let's pray. and We're going to come to Him.